0: And as I said uh, the, follow, the previous weeks, that um, the Gospel of Mark, beginning uh, around verse four, or chapter 14, begins to slow down, much like a plane does when it's about to land. Up until this point, the Gospel of Mark has been fast-paced. Um, often you see the word immediately, immediately, immediately. Very quick, very concise, not a ton of details. And so when Mark slows down to share a detail, it's important for us to slow down as well. And so we're going to be landing the plane on Easter Sunday by ending the Gospel of Mark in Mark 16. But along the way, it's important for us to enjoy God's word and to see who and how Jesus is um, moving forward because the fact is, Christ Community Church exists to glorify God by making followers not of KCCs, not of the elders here, not of the church, not of Acts 29, not of anything else, but of Jesus Christ. We exist to glorify God by making followers of Jesus Christ who are growing and multiplying. And we attempt to do that by making disciples in the context of authentic community. And so our hope is, as we study this, is less about drawing out your guiltiness for being like these disciples, and more about watching Jesus and how he responds in the midst of trial, in the midst of suffering. I wanted to call this sermon, How to Suffer Like Jesus, and so I will. It's not written anywhere. But the reality is, it's not the question of whether you're going to suffer throughout this life. The question is when. And as you go through various stages and various seasons of suffering, whether it's because of your faith, or because of your sin, or because of sin in general, or because of death, how you suffer matters. And so Jesus goes before us in his suffering And we can see within, behind the curtains, what that looks like and how it's like and how he perseveres. And while you might be saying to yourself, yeah, but I'm not Jesus, the beautiful thing is if we trust in Jesus, the same spirit that led him and guided him and rose him from the dead is a spirit that God gives to us so that when we get to the end of ourselves and we no longer can, he does and he will. Last week we talked about the Lord's Supper as Jesus sat with his disciples, talking about the covenant of the bread being his body and the cup being his blood. We talked about the Lord's Supper reveals, reminds, and restores our hope in Jesus. I made a joke about trying to avoid alliterations, but I want us to remember every week when we come to the table and remember that it reveals our profound need for a savior. It reminds us that Jesus Christ is our only hope to pay for our sins, to give us the hope of new life, and for our promise to eternity. And it restores our hope, because our hope is prone to wane, is it not? I don't know about you, but I'm tempted to shift my hope from God's promises to my ability quite frequently. I'm prone to look for ways that I might improve my life, and when I'm doing so, I'm happier, and when I'm not doing so, I'm sad. But in reality is, the joy that surpasses understanding, is not contingent upon our performance, but on Christ himself. And so if we're going to make followers of Jesus Christ who are maturing, growing, and multiplying, and we seek to do that in authentic community, we've got to see what Jesus is like and how he responds and what he does. And so immediately after giving the bread and the cup, sharing the promises of God, They leave, and he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. What I want us to see this morning is in the face of trial, Jesus trusts in God's will and leans on the community around him. That's what Jesus does. Pick up with me in verse 32 of chapter 14 of Mark. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, literally the oil press. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray, and he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And so he goes to the oil press, the place where uh, the, the olives are, the olive press, where the olives are taken in literally the olive grove. But, but it's called Gethsemane because from the olive, when it's pressed, comes the useful oil. And that day and time was used for many different things. And is making resurgence now as a carrier for your essential oils, amen? <laughs> but the importance of the, the pressing out of life to give life and extend life, Jesus goes and is begins to be pressed by the sorrow that awaits him, knowing not only of the betrayal of his friends, but of the forsaking nature of the sacrifice he must give in order to make a payment once and all, once and for all for sin. He goes there and he calls his closest friends, his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And he began to be distressed and troubled. I don't know if that, I think that's kind of churched up language as you go on and see the effect that this has on Jesus. And before we get all high and mighty saying, well, isn't he God? He's also fully human. And I don't think we can begin to understand or even imagine what it means to be placed upon a tree, to become a curse, to wear and to take on and absorb the profound anger and resolve to punish sin by an eternal, all-powerful, everlasting God. The pressing nature of what is to come, we see Jesus become greatly sorrowful. He, he says it. My soul is greatly sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. He calls him to come and to pray and to keep watch. Being pressed by the reality of what is to come. Being challenged by the reality of the despair that comes from the betrayal and the wrath of God. I don't know about you, but I like to rush through these stories around Easter. I get it. I'm bad. And I get it. Trust me, I get it. You're bad too. And those of you who think you're not that bad, you're even worse. I know it's not good for marketing, so people are like, I'm gonna go back to that church that tells me I'm bad. No. It's just compared to a holy and perfect God, none of us are good enough. He is. And so the pressing nature of these stories begins to reveal the depth of, of grief and the depth of sorrow and the depth of betrayal. It begins to prime out an illustration of the moral brokenness in our sin. And yet Jesus models for us a way to be real, but a way also to fall forward in worship. A way to be authentic in community as he walks in obedience to the Father. He's our tour guide. He's our master. He's our king. He's the one That is showing us the way forward. Pick up with me in verse 35. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that. Look what he prayed. If it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and he prayed, saying the same words. So he's repeating himself, Abba. This this Aramaic term of deep affection and intimacy and of trust. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remember, he was asking if it's possible. He's acknowledging it is possible. And since it is possible because all things are possible to you, God, please take this cup from me. The cup is is an illustration, is is a visual throughout the Old Testament It could be a cup of blessing. It could be a cup of wrath. It could be a cup of joy. But the the cup that Jesus is being handed by his Father is a cup of wrath, distinct resolve and punishment for sin as a substitute for humanity. Jesus is asking God, all things are are powerful enough to do anything. Oh, will you do this for me? We have to understand here Jesus is not being disobedient in asking. What we can see here is that Jesus is free to ask because he understands the nature of his Father. Because we have such a backwards view of strength in our society, it's hard to view moments of great vulnerability and brokenness in the humanity of Jesus like this because it exposes our own. Now, some might argue that Jesus is having a moment of disbelief, but he's clearly not. He's being faithful in his suffering by declaring what's true about God and then boldly asking God to do what he wants. What does Jesus want here? Yet not what I will, but what you will. Verse 37, and he came and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Remember, Peter just recently was like, look, these other guys, they're going to blow it. They're going to leave you. They might forsake you, but I won't. Who's sleeping? It's kind of like students when they come back from youth camp. They are going to fight hell with a water pistol. until they get home and the cell phone turns back on and then the little brother and sister have been playing with their game or in their room and all of a sudden they quote unquote lose their Jesus. We giggle but we're like yeah. If you didn't grow up in church culture partly whew, in some ways because it's all about you trying harder. Peter, just previously, they might all betray you, but I'm not going to. Peter, why are you asleep? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. What does he say? The Spirit, verse 38, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Amen? The Spirit is indeed willing. I don't think Jesus thought Peter was like, I have a plan and I'm going to betray Jesus. Judas did. Judas still had his feet washed. He still was given the bread and the cup. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is indeed weak. If you rely on yourself for your faithfulness, you prepare yourself for failure. If you rely on yourself for faithfulness, you prepare yourself for failure. But okay, we all need to be corrected sometimes. Verse 39. And he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping. For their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Uh, The longer I've been walking with Jesus over 20 years now, the more silly it becomes for me to try harder for God. The only way there's any victory in my life is to create habits in which position me around God and his people. Because we're a habitual, dependent people. We are a broken people in need of help. Our heart's bent towards helping ourselves when God's heart was bent towards providing help for us. Jesus sitting there with the very one who would say, I will not betray you, they all will, three times is sleeping. He's sorrowful to the point of death. He tells his closest buddies, guys, pray with me, keep watch, they don't. That moment of distinct isolation where the people around him aren't aren't saving him, And it appears in that moment that his father's not either. It appears that he's not. Verse 41, and he came the third time. He said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The hour has come for Jesus to take the cup of wrath that is God's will. It was God's will that Jesus should suffer and be put to death on the cross. Nothing happens outside of God's will. It was God's plan. It was God's justice. It wasn't a safety plan. It wasn't an afterthought. It didn't come to be because nothing else worked. Before the foundations of the earth, God ordained that this would be, and that's tough for us to understand, especially if you're a parent. Rather than us pass judgment upward as finite beings to the infinite being, it should humble us. So There's three things I want you to think through as we follow Jesus, as we live this life, as we're in the face of trial, that we can model after Jesus as he trusts in God's will and leans on the community around him. The first thing is this, Jesus is tempted to despair. He is tempted to despair. There's temptation. Many people look at Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus is led by the Spirit out into the wilderness to be tempted as the greatest form of temptation. But in fact, if you go and look at the despair that Jesus was experiencing, his despair was greater at this point. In Luke chapter 22, verse 44, it says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, I'm not going to get into argument, was it really blood or was it like blood or whatever, but let me tell you this. When was the last time you prayed to the point of sweating so profusely that it left marks? Or it was leading towards dehydration? I'm not saying this to bring guilt. I'm just saying, hey, if we want to follow after Jesus, we got to see this, because Jesus was tempted. See, I don't know about you, but I get embarrassed by my temptations, which in a- I allow myself then to feel alienated from the Father, And therefore, I often give in to my temptation. But Jesus was tempted in all ways, yet without sin. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. The enemy doesn't want you to see this. He doesn't want you to buy into this and hope in this. Because when you're being tempted is the moment you cry out to God. God. He's not just the custodian that cleans up afterwards. He's the one who intervenes and rescues. He's the one that alleviates and brings you out of that despair. He is the one that brings framework and meaning in it. Verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace, in help, uh, grace to help in time of need. When life appears to be falling apart, we can go to Jesus. He gets it. He's not unaware, although he did not sin, he understands temptation. He understands failure. He understands brokenness. He understands alienation. In fact, on the cross, many say that on the cross, Jesus became the loneliest man ever to exist because even the presence and power of God was removed from him as the wrath of God was poured out on him. Jesus enters into temptation He is tempted to despair. He is tempted to give up. He is tempted to let go. He is tempted to rely on on, on some other way. But not his will, but God's will be done. The Father's will be done. Which leads us to the second observation. Jesus turns to prayer. We greatly devalue prayer. Usually prayer for us, including myself, is one of the last resorts. And maybe some of us have learned that because it's been used against us. or We grew up in homes where it was more pharisaical, where there was a lot of words but no, no power. And we see in the gospel, or in, in 1 Corinthians, that, that the gospel doesn't come just in chatter, but also in power. And so maybe we grew up in a kind of a trite, hypocritical environment. I, I want to push past your experience with growing up and look to Jesus. What does he do when he's sweating blood in despair? He asks the Father. He goes to the Father. He trusts the Father. Jesus knows what is coming, but asks for another way. He knows what's coming, but he asks for another way. It is not a sin to ask the Father to rescue us. It is not a sin to ask. So, how do we ask God? How do we go and ask God, hey, the next time you and your spouse are in a spat or a fight, the last thing you want to do is pray. So you may not be able to come together and pray saying, we're obviously very much diving headlong into sin and going to roll around in it like pigs in mud. You might not be at a place yet of vulnerability and, and intimacy to be able to say, hey, time out, let's thank God for this opportunity to grow in intimacy. And seek better understanding of each other. But I do know my fights with Stephanie, usually my doing, amen? She's like, that's a trap. No traps here. Become shorter and more productive. When we understand that the Lord hasn't said, y'all figure it out. He's provided a way. Maybe next time you're sitting at a crossroads, whether it's business or finances or whatever, before you go and make up your own mind, you slow down and pray and invite other people in to pray with you and actually listen to what they're saying. If they're walking with the Lord and listening to the Word, the elders are very patient with me. I go in there and say, I want to take over this ministry and do blank, 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 and they're like, hey, you'd probably do well at that, but no, you can't do that for my good. I need people around me. What do you guys think about blank? They're praying to God, I'm praying to God. But Jesus turns to prayer. And if our Savior turns to prayer, then we need to talk. So how do we ask God? One, we trust God. I mean, one of the main messages throughout the beginning to the end of the Bible is trust me. That's what God's inviting us to. Trust him. That's what he told Adam and Eve in the garden. That's what he told Noah with the boat. That's what he told Abraham. That's what he told Isaac and Jacob. That's what he told Israel. Trust me, trust me. That's what Jesus says, trust me. And so beginning when we ask God, we go to God not doubting. And if we are doubting, saying, God, I do believe, but help my unbelief. We trust God that he's able to make up for what we lack. So we trust God, then we pursue his will. We align ourselves, treasuring what he treasures more than what we treasure. And then the psalm starts making sense. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of what? your heart. Guess what? God wants his will too. And the more you start trusting in God and his will, the more you trust that he's using all things for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose, the more you understand that as you're being led through seasons of wilderness, that he will use those things not only for your own edification, but for the blessing to other people who do not yet know him. Trust God, pursue his will. And if you're doing those things, ask freely. When was the last time you made a big ask? When was the last time? Listen, I, I want to I preface this because there's a bunch of, of crazy people out there that are prosperity preachers, like, I'm going to name it and claim it, and they bark at God commands. But if you trust God and you're pursuing his will, you can ask, Say, God, I really pray you provide a way for blank. I pray that you, I ask for this. I ask financially for this. I ask this. He's a good father. Guess what? I trust him to not give me more than I need. But I also trust him to provide and feed my family. When's the last time you asked? God, my desire is this. I think you put that desire in me. Show me a way. Even if it's scary, show me a way. Provide for it. And I know some of you, I've heard your stories. You bargain with God. Lord, help me get credit for this pool, and we'll use it for baptisms. I mean, our baptism, a portable baptism will cost us a couple grand, I think. But $70,000 for an occasional baptism? Okay, well. Ask. He cares about your finances. He cares about your marriage. He cares about your kids. He cares about your health. But more importantly, he cares about his glory because he knows his glory will be the source of your ultimate joy. And so when you're seeking his will and pursuing and aligning with his will, when you don't understand it, you will have joy. I love We get we get a lot of guys through here, and that that I sit and meet with who want to plant churches and do ministry and everything like that. And some are like, man, I've been to seminary, I've done my work, boom, 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 boom. And I said, well, what if God's telling you to wait for a decade? And they're like, I'm going to be too old. I'll be 29, and like, okay. (laughs) I remember feeling that way. I remember feeling that way. But the Apostle Paul, with an equivalent of a PhD, gets saved. And if my math is correct, wait 17 years before his first missionary journey. 17. For some of you, that's like half your life. When you start yielding to God's, ask God, God, hey, provide for me to do blank. And if he, he might say, wait. A lot of us think God's only saying yes or no. What if he's saying, Wait. Here's what I tell church planners: You want to plan a church one day? Start writing sermons now. And preach them to your wife and let her her tell you, like, not good, man. Not good. And, and, And start preparing and studying the Scripture. If you're going to preach the Word, you better know it. Studying the Word, preparing the Word, taking trainings and whatever you can to prepare your heart, even if it's not for a decade or two. God's timing is perfect. Jesus knew, God, not my will, but your will be done. I understand, even if it's just physical pain, I would pray that prayer every time. We're talking about spiritual gravity of sin coming out on Christ. So we trust him, we pursue his will, and so we ask freely. And guess what? We accept his answer. I think one of the reasons we don't ask big prayers and make big asks It's because we know our weakness in faith that we'll be upset when we get his no or not yet. And so we don't ask. Confess that to him. Maybe that's your confession today is, is God, I feel entitled to your blessing on my terms. God, I relinquish my terms of blessing for yours. Because just, if you're a follower of Jesus, let me ask you, are God's terms or your terms better He can even fake and give the right answer. God's. His timing is better than your timing. Essentially, anything great that's happened in my life mostly has not happened along my timeline. And there's times I think the Lord lets us go a little farther ahead of ourselves to discipline us and help us. He's a good father. We can ask freely. And we've got to get to the point where we grow in trusting him that we accept his no- and love it just as much as his yes. And that we embrace and find great value in him when we get his not yet. And for a guy who's wired like me, I'm more open-ended because there's a lot of possibility. I know many of my friends here, it's just you have to have it planned out. And so all I would say is build your plans with Legos and allow the Father to come to kick it over and do what's in front of you. In the moments of despair, there's times you don't have words to say, you don't don't have the things to say. And so, number three, Jesus asked others to pray with him. I don't know about you, but there have been times I have been disappointed by my brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you haven't yet, you must be very new to the faith or live in isolation and don't know any other Christians. Because humans can be disappointing. I can be disappointing. I'm sure... Half of you could think of things you wish I would have done differently or better or more frequently or less frequently immediately. So just a blanket apology, I'm human. I'm a tour guide to Jesus, I'm not him. I'm a bad savior, not a bad, bad, bad savior. Great savior, not great savior. But we all disappoint each other. Spouses disappoint spouses, children disappoint parents, parents disappoint children. But that doesn't mean we, we throw out the baby with the bathwater and don't ask others to pray with you. And here's the good news. So the next time you ask someone to pray with you or walk with you or help you and they drop the ball on you, I want you to see this promise from Romans chapter 8 that God's given to us as a gift post-resurrection and ascension to heaven. When Jesus went up to heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit and he gave us His promise from Romans chapter 8. So even when your community around you isn't, isn't batting a 1,000 and maybe he's only 50% as great or maybe you feel isolated and alone, I want you to look at this, verse 26 of Romans chapter 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts know what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Good news. When you're not doing right in your prayers, the Spirit is making up for what you lack. He's interceding, he's for you, he's going ahead of you, he's empowering you, he's covering for you. The blood of Christ isn't just for what you've done wrong, it's for what you miss, for what you lack, for your inability, for your lack of faith. God has given us a helper in his spirit that we shouldn't ignore, but we should lean into and lean on because it's a promise of God. And so when your community around you drops the ball, maybe God's running behind you saying, you don't need that as much as you need me. And then when you come back to those walking with you, you say, I feel like you've let me down. I pray that they repent and say, I've let you down. I'm sorry. So that in that moment, you might display the same grace that you've been given to them. That their faith might be strengthened as well. The point of Jesus asking his disciples to pray, I would argue, were more for their benefit than his. When we invite people to pray with us in four for us, asking them to pray is is not a burden. Why? Because for Christians, it's an invitation for them to intentionally experience the power of God. And so when you ask people to pray with you and pray for you, when we have the leaders of our church along the side every Sunday, we want you to come pray with us, not because we want to Lord over you, but because we want to enter into it with you. We want to be a praying church that depends on the power of God for the faithfulness and fruitfulness of our ministries. Jesus asked for prayers. But the prayers of the saints don't determine God's faithfulness. The aim of prayer isn't to exalt the one who prays or the one being prayed for. That's not the aim of prayer. The aim of prayer is to to display the power of the one in whom we are praying to. It's a gesture of dependence. It's a gesture of hope. It's a declaration that even in the midst of our unbelief, help us. And His Spirit does. The aim of prayer isn't to exalt the one who prays or the one who is being prayed for. The aim of prayer is to display the power of the one in whom we are praying to, to shift our affections. So when people ask me to pray, it's a a blessing and an encouragement. And guess what? It arrests me out of only worrying about my own little kingdom. Stop going alone. What I mean is not just not engaging in an authentic community. I'm saying stop thinking God's too busy for you. That's a small view of God. God is able and willing and more powerful, whether he's saying yes or no or not yet. The power of God we see in the life of Jesus that even in the face of trial, Jesus trusts in God's will and he leans on the community around him. I remember a preacher a preacher friend of mine was speaking at a youth camp and was dealing with a kid that was very angry and upset. It was causing a lot of trouble and he said, hey, when was the last time you pounded on the chest of God with all of your hurts? The kid's like, I don't know how to do that. And he said, just... Tonight, I want you to lay in your bed. I want you to pound on on your mattress like you're pounding on the chest of God with your hurts. And he did. The next morning, he was different. Look, if you're angry with God or you feel like God's disappointed you, that's stealing joy from you. It's an immature way of thinking, but it happens for us all. It happens for us all. The first step is just going and agreeing with God, God, this is not helping me, it's hurting me. If God is the giver of life, which he is, then he is the source of your redemption and hope. Bring your pain to Jesus, he gets it. When you don't have words, the spirit prays on our behalf. Bring your community in with you. The aim of bringing confession to the table isn't so that we can forgive you. The, the, the purpose of confessions, agreeing with God, and trusting God to Give all of his resources towards your restoration in Christ. His spirit, his word, his people. And as we face trial, part of growing and maturing in our faith, maturing disciples in community is that we're carrying the burden together and trusting in God for the glory. So in the face of trial, Jesus trusts in God's will and leans on the community around him. And that's his invitation to you as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather and to worship and to see the life and the suffering of Jesus as an example to us who will believe that we might see your power manifest in real ways in our community as we make disciples. Lord, help us to be a place of prayer. Help us to know it's okay not to be okay. It's not okay to stay not okay. Because, Jesus, you've made all things okay. So for those who are suffering, those who are weak in faith, or those who do not yet believe, I ask, God, in your power and in your mercy, you would help. Let us really be the body of Christ, walking with each other. And when we fall down and when we fail, we trust that you're carrying us. We need you, God, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.